Welcome back, my fellow creatives, to Story Cuppings. We are continuing our sipping of spooky brews today, this time with a book that I have been so excited to share. Uh, I interviewed this author, this is some time ago, uh, and she has continued this series since. Uh, the author is Celine Kiernan, and the book in question is Begone the Raggedy Witches. It is book one of the Wild Magic Trilogy. And I just, mm, the, the cover art and just, well, annoying Celine's connection with art and drawing and the ability to express through the lines of prose as well as the lines of a visual creation. It just, mm, I love it, and I cannot wait to dive into chapter one here with you today as part of a delightful, you know, Halloween read. This one, perhaps uh, perhaps the tastes of this one will appeal to your inner child or a child that is near and dear to you. But let us begin first with page one. The moon was strange the night the witches came and Auntie died. The color of brass and huge, it seemed to fill the sky. It stared down at the car as Mam drove in and out of dark country valleys and blotted the stars with its milky light. Mup didn't like it. She wanted to tell Mam that. She wanted to start a conversation, but Mam was different tonight too. Like the moon, Mam was strange. Usually they would sing as Mam drove back from the hospital, songs from the radio, songs from their heads, or they would talk and make up stories and Mum would explain things. What are the stars, Mam? They're burning planets like our sun, only so distant that their light is cold and glittering. But tonight the radio was mute, and so was Mam. And Mup sat in a tense bubble of silence under the glaring moon, her head buzzing with questions that Mam was not willing to answer. Let's just pause there a minute. So we're one page in. And we have already a an ominous sense here, a very a very strong sense of foreboding in a child. And this foreboding is present not just in the way the moon carries itself in the sky, but it's in the way Mup sees her mother. And now we have in the first sentence two very, I, I, I just love this juxtaposition in the first sentence. The moon was strange the night the witches came and auntie died. Now the death of a relative is always, it's always traumatic for a little one, especially when it's the first loved one passing in the family. But this is also an, a normal, it's a normal thing that we in this everyday humdrum society expect that there comes a time when someone in the family passes away. The fact that the normal thing is listed after the not at all normal thing of witches showing up gives it's a peculiar sense of priority uh for this character mup 
Um, and I love how uh, Celine Kiernan chooses that we need not just a sense of time with being told that it's night, um, but we also have a sense of the foreboding just with being told the moon was strange. Not, um, I mean, she goes on to give more details about the moon, but it's a very childlike way of like the moon's being weird. You know, it, it's, it, it, you get that sense that that's how a kid would put it, that the moon's being strange. The, it, and the fact is it's the moon. It's not, um, it's not the way of people around Mupp or even the weather. It's the moon itself. And then her mom. So we have that fantastical, out there thing that is being odd. Not that the moon gets to decide what it's doing, but the fact that the witches are just mentioned in here, it's almost in passing because as you noted, you know, from the rest of the page, there's not a word about witches. It's just, <clears throat> they were in that first sentence. So as a reader, I want to know, well, where are these witches that you talked about? And as a writer, we know we are pacing. We use that hook with that first sentence about the witches coming. We know that we also have this deeply emotional time going on. And so as a writer, we have to be careful as we are balancing these emotional heavy details while also dropping in more hints of this coming witches. Because we don't want to be setting up anticipation, setting up expectations, I should say, and then never fulfilling them. That is one of my biggest beefs as a writer and reader both. And I hope it's yours too. Uh, where there's all this setup and then... Pfft. So let's see how Celine Kiernan has this setup that and we'll see how we, it pays off. Let's keep going here. Mupp looked across at her little brother, Tipper. He was fast asleep, his hands curled on his knees, his small mouth open and drooling onto the straps of his car seat. Tipper wasn't much for conversation, but it would have been nice had he been awake. He could have laughed at the moon, maybe, and by being so small, he might have made Mupp feel big. Gently, Mupp reached across and covered Tipper with the car blanket. He went on sleeping, and she rested her head against the window and watched the night flow by. The car passed, its full beams making Ma'am curse, and Mupp shut her eyes against the glare. For a long time, she didn't open them again. She must have fallen asleep without knowing, because she was enjoying a lovely dream about warm Swiss roll and custard when the car bumped and she woke up. Outside, the night was still streaming past. Mump had slumped against the door with her face tilted to the sky, and she was looking up through the branches of the roadside trees. The trees were falling away and falling away as the car sped by, and there were witches in the branches, and they were following the car. What? <laughs> so here I was all concerned about expectations and payoff, but nope, by the end of the second page, we got more about the witches. Oh my goodness. But is Mupp still dreaming? I don't know. Because that sounds like something I would get like a dream after dream. I don't know if anybody else has had that where you think you've woken up, but no, you're just in a whole different dream and it's all equally weird and strange and you have to try and wake yourself up again for realsies this time. Well, let's see what's going on. Mupp wasn't startled, 
half asleep as she was, with the taste of warm custard in her mouth, but she frowned up at the witches with an inkling that something wasn't right. Gradually, the cold of the window stole into her sleeping brain, and the thrum of the engine made itself real. All the little squeaks and rattles of a car in motion became solid around her, and as the dream calm slipped away, Mupp was filled with the knowledge that she was awake, and there were witches in the trees following the car. There were men witches and women witches, and they leapt from branch to branch, racing along at tremendous speed. They were nothing but shadows among shadows, so that Mupp had to strain her eyes to see them. She watched for so long that she began to fall asleep again, half convinced she was dreaming after all. Then one of the witches jumped the gap between two trunks, her silhouette dark against the fine gray of the sky. She descended in a falling arc, her clothes brown black like ragged black wings. As her pale hands reached for the branches of the next tree, she looked down into the car and met Mop's eyes. Mupp sat up straight, suddenly afraid. <laughs> I, I love on how surreal this sounds. I mean, as, an, as a reader, just, just, as an adult or a child, I mean, you, you feel like, yes, your mind is kind of playing tricks on you because you're only half awake. And so, of course, it looks like there's witches moving around in the trees. And it kind of feels, especially when you know this is an emotionally heavy drive. But to have a witch break from the group and meet Mup eye to eye. That's a chilling moment, especially because when you're in a car out in the middle of nowhere, you are already so very isolated and there is very little protection between you and whatever is outside when you are in a car. Let's see what, how Mup describes this witch. The witch's face was a pale, bright oval, her black eyes expressionless. She tilted her head in contemplation of the little creature before her, and all the world slowed to the space between heartbeats. For an endless moment, the witch's gaze filled the night, pressing Mup down and down until she felt small and useless and insignificant. Then the witch was gone. Mup's heart resumed beating. She breathed deep. She jerked forward, craning to see out the window. The witch had passed into the next tree, her clothes fluttering behind her. Traveling hand over hand through the branches, effortlessly pacing the car, she didn't bother to look down again, and neither did her shadowy brothers and sisters. Mup glanced at Mam, grim-faced and hunched over the steering wheel. Auntie had said that if Mupp ever saw witches, she was to tell. Hold on. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into a flashback in a second, but hold on. So Andy knows about witches. 
oh man, now I'm getting serious, like Roald Dahl bits with the witches where the grand grandmother is telling the boy all about the witches. Okay, so we have a relative who is, who apparently the one who is dying, because we know from the first sentence, this is, auntie is the one who's dying. She's going to die. Now this makes me wonder, how is she going to die? Are the witches having a hand in it? Or do they show up and then auntie dies? I don't know. And so I suddenly, as a reader, am wondering, what role these witches play and if there is something more nefarious going on it's not just a traumatic experience is there something wicked happening and as a writer i gotta again i want to make sure i pace myself because i don't want to just dump what's happening i don't want to just well the auntie's about to have a really big flashback explaining all these things to mup so now mup no 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 i don't want to do that we gotta pace this because we want to keep the readers intrigued. We want them to keep finding, They we want the readers to stay in this car to follow along with Mupp and Mam about what's going on. So what does Mupp remember Auntie saying? It doesn't matter what they might want, Auntie had said, holding a hand up to silence Mupp's questions. All you need to know is that if you see one, you are to tell me, but only tell me, you hear? Your mother and father don't need to know. Oh, man. So hold up. So the, the, the relative who is dying is the one who is meant to know about the witches, not the parents. So it's not like Mup can tell her mother. So now we've got a little conflict. It's not just a matter of her mother being stressed and strained about driving to, we presume, to meet this auntie relative who is dying. But now Mup needs auntie and as far as Mup know and granted at this point in time I don't know if Mup knows that the auntie is dying or is in peril or is in poor health we don't know that yet but clearly auntie is needed and ma'am is the one that's there but Mup cannot count on her mother for this and that's a little bit of conflict right there that a lot of folks, a lot of readers can understand, relate to, and also ups the worry about our protagonist, Mup, because we realize crutters. Mup's on her own right now. Yeah, she's in the car with her mom and her bro baby brother, but in a way, Mup is also on her own because she, she cannot... She has to be able to get to her aunt somehow now. Hopefully in this car. Hopefully. Mup looked back up into the trees. When Auntie told you to do something, you did it. You did it properly. But Mup had never expected the witches to be so scary. She had always thought Auntie would be here when they arrived. Was she really not allowed to tell ma'am? All through the journey home. Oh, wait. They're not going to Auntie. They're going home. Uh oh. All right. Let's see what happens. Now they're not even going to Auntie. Ah! Okay, all through the journey home, the witches tracked the car and Mup tracked the witches. Sometimes she'd see them across the gaps between trees. One, two, three, four, five, six of them. Their billowing clothes and pale features sharp against the sky. But mostly they race through the shadows. Hard to see, harder still to believe in. 
Abruptly, the trees ended and Mup found herself gazing into empty stars. She knelt up, twisting against her seatbelt, and looked behind as the trees diminished in the distance. There was no sign of the witches. Ma'am turned the car and the headlights splashed the front of their house, illuminating the flower beds, the bushes, the big chestnut trees. Mup stayed kneeling, staring out the back window, while Ma'am opened the hall door and returned to take Tipper from his car seat. Come on, Mup, Ma'am said, hefting Tipper's sleepy weight onto her shoulder. Mup hesitated. A storm had risen and the garden was alive with sound. The chestnut trees churned like the sea, their leaves tumbling into the fan of light which spilled from the hall door. Ma'am's hair whipped around her tired face, slipping into her mouth and getting in her eyes. Oh, I can hear this and see this. I love these sensory details. Mop! She cried impatiently. Yeah, that's me too. <laughs> Any given time trying to get children out of the car. All right, we got time for just a little bit more. Okay. Mup took a deep breath and dived from the car. The night was a frenzy around her and she ran as fast as she could across the yielding lawn. Hurry, ma'am, she thought, hurry. Behind her, ma'am slammed the car door and slowly crunched her way up the gravel drive. Over the noise of the storm, through the churning of the trees came a heavy fluttering sound like cloth in the wind. Then Mup was in the orange warmth of the hall, and Ma'am was on her heels, slamming the door shut and shaking the storm from her hair. The house was warm. It was quiet, and it was sane. It sealed the horrible night outside. Ma'am sighed as she passed up the corridor. Get your jammies on. I'll make supper in a minute. Ma'am, called Mup, wanting, despite what Auntie had said, to tell her about the witches. Shush! Don't wake Tipper! Ma'am had already turned the corner into Tipper's room, and there was a quick flip, quick, quiet click, sorry, quiet click from within as she switched his nightlight on. Sensible light added itself to the familiar hallway, and Mup felt silent, feeling un unsure. But I did see them, she thought. I wasn't dreaming, was I? Badger came nudging out of the kitchen, his big flat head pushing the door to one side. He grinned his doggy grin, whining with joy, his butt wagging as fast as his tail. Hey, boy, whispered Mup. Hey. Her old friend thumped his tail against the walls and lumbered his head up under Mup's arms, snuffing the interesting journey smells from her hands and coat, licking her face so she had to push his slobbery kisses away. She laughed despite herself. Did you miss me? But already, Badger was looking past her at the front door, and the hairs on his neck were stiff under her fingers. A low growl rumbled in his chest. Uh-oh. Map, no, I'm sorry, Mup turned to see. It, it was just the front door, solid and strong as ever. The two long glass panels on either side reflected Mup and Badger back at themselves. An old Labrador going gray at the muzzle and a dark-eyed girl dressed in a bright red jacket. Both had anxious expressions. Both were watching the door. The wind moaned and rattled the letterbox. It battered the sturdy wood and hissed against its fragile glass. 
Mup hugged her arms protectively around Badger's neck and wondered if Mam had turned the key in the lock. You'll never guess, she whispered in Badger's ear, what I saw in the trees. Oh man, I can't, I gotta stop, we're out of time. But, oh, this is, mm, I love the pacing here. So we had a sense of, a sense of the ominous in the beginning of this chapter because the chapter keeps going it's a little bit longer yet but that's okay we had yeah the chapter keeps going for another 10 pages that's all right we don't have time but i just want to highlight you know as a writer we want to hook our readers and keep them intrigued and we have to be careful that we don't just dump all the information we know our readers will want right away we have to pace it out and to pace it out through action is always much more fascinating than explanation. Uh, with As a reader, we want to be able to see this tension and hear it and feel as our protagonists are feeling. And I feel like Celine Kiernan has such a strong grip on that here in the story that whether you are a young reader or an old reader, or somewhere in between, or you're, you know, a time lord or something, you're able to appreciate the pacing, the fear that the moon and the tension of a, a, an everyday traumatic experience can already bring to a child. But then when you add the magical and not at all normal addition of witches, witches who stay with you, who watch you, who vanish, and yet, and yet, do they truly vanish? Well, I guess you'd have to keep drinking from this spooky brew to find out now, wouldn't you? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Story Cuppings, and I do hope you stop by my site, Jean Lee's World, because I do have a two-part interview I did with Celine Kiernan some time back. I'll make sure I include the link on this episode description. Until next time, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers! <laughs>